Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. It was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top. No, no, because then that would be us in our efforts ripping open the veil to get access to God. You see, Christianity does not work that way. There is no effort you can do to tear the curtain. It has to come from the top, meaning this, it was God who ripped that thing. You want access to him, all the work's been done by him. There is nothing you can ever do. You would never be able to tear that curtain. Religion says do, but Jesus says done. Sometimes we want to do something to earn our salvation rather than just accept it for the gift that it is. But as Pastor James points out to us today, God made it so clear that he did all the work for our salvation. He sent his son to earth. He died on the cross and he tore the veil that separated man from God. And on the third day, he rose again. What could we as humans ever do that would add to what has already been done? How could any of our works compare to his work on the cross? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 15 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 33, it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Complete darkness. And this isn't an eclipse. This isn't anything like that. This can't be explained away by like natural occurrences or by science. Okay? This is miraculous. The whole land becomes dark. Becomes dark. And that's never happened before at any crucifixion. Never. Then at three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachnia. I don't know how to say that last one. I apologize. But it essentially is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Statements that Jesus made from the cross, and this is one of them. Mark doesn't include many of them, Right? But he, he highlights these specific ones. And there on the cross, in the darkness, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, not my father, my father, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's in this moment, for the first time in all of time, there's a separation between the father and the son. For the first time ever. The Trinity triune God, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Three very real people, okay? Not essences or spirits or phantoms. Real people lived in perfect community before any of us ever existed. They never needed us. You're here because he wanted you, okay? You exist because he wanted you to exist, But within the Godhead, there was a perfect harmony, perfect union that had never been broken until the moment where Jesus is dying on the cross and our sins get poured onto him. And in that moment, the father has to turn away. And in that moment, for the first time ever, there is a separation that never had existed. 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because my sins were poured out onto him. That sacrifice had to happen so that the bridge could be rebuilt between us and him. Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Waity said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Like he, he's, maybe he's calling out for Elijah, okay? So let's just see. Let's give him some, some uh, sour wine, you know, and, and even within some of these moments, one of the cries that Jesus makes from the cross is, I thirst. They're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see what happens. Maybe Elijah will show up because that's part of their, their, their idea is that Elijah never died. He was taken up to heaven. So there's a chance even in Jewish tradition that Elijah will be coming back. Let's see if he comes back and rescues him. So now he, he really has their attention. Verse 37, then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. Please understand that he gave up his life. Yeah, the cross, it was meant to take his life. But Jesus gave up his life. No one took it from him. No one took it from him. He gave up his life. There, in that moment, hanging on the cross, in darkness, your Savior, my Savior, the very one who put breath into our lungs, exhaled his last breath and died. This was so impactful, so completely impactful, that you have a trained killer at the feet of Jesus watching this man die with complete dignity and power. He's never seen anything like this before. This is a Roman soldier. This is a guy who's watched hundreds, if not thousands of crucifixions and has participated in hundreds, if not thousands of crucifixions himself. Now, remember these Roman soldiers, they would try to outdo one another in how much pain they could inflict upon the criminal who would die. So we don't know what his role was within this crucifixion of Jesus. All I know is he's standing at his feet and he's looking up at this guy and he's like, holy cow, he is blown away by this tremendous man who just died. He's never seen anything like this. One of my favorite, favorite parts of the crucifixion story is this guy. Now, he doesn't top Jesus and dying for me, nothing will ever even come close to that. But I have such admiration for the impact it has on this guy. I have a feeling, again, speculation. One day I'll get to heaven and you'll meet this Roman soldier. Can you imagine the story that he can tell of what it was like to be there? He's like, and it went all dark. Never seen anything like it. And there he was. And he wasn't dying like every other person I've seen. He died differently. This guy died differently. It says in the, the before we get to the Roman soldier, I, I'm, I see how excited I get about that guy. Um, I jump, I'm, I don't want to skip anything. I haven't skipped the verse yet, but uh, here we go. Um, verse 38, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple. This is another huge thing, right? This is 
This is major, 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 major. In the temple was torn in two, and I love what Mark and Peter do with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was torn from top to bottom. Not bottom to top. No, no, because then that would be us in our efforts ripping open the veil to get access to God. You see, Christianity does not work that way. There is no effort you can do to tear the curtain. It has to come from the top, meaning this. It was God who ripped that thing. You want access to him, all the work's been done by him. There is nothing you can ever do. You would never be able to tear that curtain. Number one, it's a thick curtain, okay? If you know the dynamics of it, it is a thick curtain. You would never be able to tear that thing. Why do we spend so much of our lives trying to tear the curtain? Why do we spend so much of our time trying to re-sew the curtain? From the top, to the bottom. God said, hold on. What did that signify? The death was enough. One of the cries from Jesus on the cross was, it is finished. It's finished. And in that moment, God's like, rip. So what separated commoners and everybody except for the high priest once a year from going into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was, has now been made available to everybody. You want to spend time with God? Go in. Go in. The book of Hebrews tells you all about it. You have access to the throne room of God because of Jesus and because of his blood. You can walk into that thing confidently. Confidently. Because he'd made a way. And it was God the Father himself who said, let me tear this thing apart. Why? That, that curtain tearing completely signifies that what Jesus did on the cross was absolutely enough. Your sins have been covered. Your sins have been atoned. There's redemption in Jesus. There's forgiveness of your sins in Jesus. There's access to God, the Father, through Jesus. It's amazing. In this moment, this is what happens. So there in the temple, I can't even imagine who, you know, if if there's guys working in the temple, can you imagine how freaked out they are? Like, who's on shift for that day? And he's like, it wasn't me. I didn't do it, right? Like, it tore from the top to the bottom. I saw it happen. There would have been guys working in the temple on that day. Can you imagine how freaked out they would have been when that thing that separated them from the Holy of Holies just ripped? Literally, it was torn. And I would hope that they're like, I think something major just happened. I think God's trying to speak to us. Yeah, he is. Get out to Calvary. Get out to Golgotha. Because God just died on that cross. In case you don't know, Jesus is God. And here he came, incarnation, took on flesh, lived a sinless, perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice, and died on that cross. Through his death, he made a way. Verse 39, when the Roman officer who stood facing him, I love that. I love the the terminology that Mark uses. It's so poetic and it's so descriptive. Read through the book of Mark again and note how it's like, it wasn't just like dark, it was darkness. And it wasn't just grass, it was green grass. And this soldier wasn't just like there, he was facing him. Okay? You got to understand when they're writing this, like he's being very descriptive because he wants you to be there standing next to this Roman guard who is there and his eyes are captivated by Jesus. He cannot look away. 
He is facing this man who he's seen thousands of people die at his own hands. But he cannot look away from this one guy. When he saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. Out of the mouth of a Gentile. Now I do have an issue with one thing that he said. He used the past tense. Was. Oh, nobody. He is. But I don't fault this guy for that at all. I would have said the same thing, right? He's like, truly. As he's hearing, he's hearing all the mockery. He's hearing all the accusations. He's hearing it all. And when he stands at the foot of the cross, staring at the one who is dying on the cross, he is like, that guy is the son of God. So says this Roman soldier who grows up in a multi-God kind of culture. He affirms Jesus is the son of God. Miracles happen at the cross, at the foot of the cross. The ones you think will never get saved can get saved at the foot of the cross. The ones you think are like, there's no chance. There's no chance, right? No chance at all. Oh, there's always a chance when they show up at the cross, at the foot of the cross, and they stare into the eyes of the one who died for them. There's a chance for everybody. If you've got a prodigal in your family, maybe somebody, son or a daughter or a loved one or friend or coworker that's just running away, trying to run away from God, I want to encourage you that there is still hope for that individual. And you hold fast to that hope. And as often as you can, walk with them to the cross. And however that would work out, whatever the scenario is, but at the foot of the cross, man, there is, there is hope for us all. There's hope for us all. This Roman soldier just makes one of the greatest proclamations ever uttered by a human being. Truly, this man is the son of God. Some of the women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene. She was set free by Jesus. A beautiful story there. Mary, the mother of James the Younger and Joseph and Salome, if that's how you say her name. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. So I love that they include this as a part of it. It's like at the foot of the cross. Yeah, his 12 may have belled on him and were watching from a distance, but all these ladies are right there. And that, that speaks of something pretty significant. I hope you guys understand that because within this culture, women did not matter that much. But here is God saying, hey, make sure you put their names in there. Make sure you let everybody else know that these ladies were there and they never left my side. They never left my side. It says, all this happened on Friday, verse 42, the day of preparation, the day before Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. This is Joseph. He's like, he's like one of the main religious guys, and he took a gamble. He's like, I need his body. I want his body. Normally, they leave their bodies up there, dogs going by to gnaw on them and all that good stuff. They know eventually they take them down. They just throw them in a trash heap. That's what they would normally do. But Joseph of Arimathea was like, kind of like a secret follower of Jesus in one sense, uh, he, along with Nicodemus, we know that he was, he's kind of included in these stories as well. But he's like, I want his body. Give me his body. 
And Pilate's like, well, he, there's no way he can be dead. They, they don't die that fast. Nobody dies that fast. So he goes there, he risks it all. He's willing to risk his position. He's willing to risk his reputation. He's willing to risk it all to get Jesus from the cross. He's willing to risk it all. It says that Pilate, verse 44, couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. So he called for a Roman officer and asked him if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Now, here's where other gospel accounts let us know that normally they go, especially right before, you know, in Passover, they go by and they just break their legs. If they were crucifying guys this close to Passover and all that, they just go by and break their legs and, let, and then they just die real fast. And they were going to go do that to Jesus. But the prophecies from Exodus let us know that no bone would be broken. And when they get to Jesus, they're like, we think he's already dead. And so a Roman soldier takes a spear and thrusts it through his side and pierces his heart. And there was a water thing that Sack had encapsulated because he literally died of a broken heart is what happened to Jesus. And so when he pierced through that water sack and the heart, out of his side came blood and water. So they knew Please know, there's theories out there of like, we didn't really die on the cross. My goodness, how do you survive that? Please, that's a miracle in and of itself then. You get stabbed through the heart with a spear. I think you're going to die. I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but I think your chances of survival are pretty slim. These killers, these professional killers confirmed with 100% accuracy that he was dead. That he was dead. And so when that word gets back to Pilate, Pilate tells Joseph, you can have his body. You can have his body. This would be fulfilling another prophecy that Jesus, even Jesus' burial in this tomb of a rich man, that was prophesied hundreds of years before. Now, how was Jesus going to work that out? Beforehand. Joseph gets the body. It says that, uh, he, verse 46, he, he bought a long sheet of linen cloth. This is the shroud, right? This is what people are looking for and they think they found and all that good stuff. I can tell you this, it, it's still just a cloth if it exists, okay? Still just a cloth, okay? Uh, if you find it, sweet. You'll probably make a lot of money if you sell it, I guess, but it's not going to do anything for you. It's just a cloth, just fabric. We don't need to put too much stock in some of these artifacts. Piece of the cross, still just wood. Nail, still just a nail, right? So he got this linen cloth. It says he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, laid it in the tomb that had been carved out of the rock, a, a freshly new tomb. Then he rolled a stone in, in front of the entrance. Now we know that the, um, the other gospel accounts also let us know that the Jewish leaders went to Pilate and said, hey, look, we need to put soldiers in front of this thing. And you need to seal it, you know, with your signet so that we know, because these guys are probably going to try to sneak in and steal his body, okay? So you need to put some soldiers around this thing. Pilate consents to that, okay? So there's no confusion on where the tomb is, because that's another weird theory that's out there, that they went to the wrong tomb, they went to an empty one, right? No, they knew where he was, there's no mistake here. Yeah, I've been to Israel. There are lots of tombs. There's lots of graves all around. But they knew where he was. 
These soldiers who are guarding the tomb, they're, you know, they're, they're there on watch. They're there on guard, hope, well, trying to prevent anybody from coming in to steal his body. What they did not realize was that he didn't need them to guard the tomb at all because he wasn't worried about anybody stealing his body because he kept telling them, give me three days. Just give me a few days. I'll be back. That's what he told his disciples before this all went down. Hey, I, look, this is what's going to happen, but give me a few days. I'll meet you in Galilee. Okay, put as many soldiers as you want in front of the tomb. Doesn't matter. I don't need it. They're not going to keep me in. Okay. So they have it. They know where it's at. They have it sealed. They have it on guard and all that good stuff. But here's another little detail concerning the location and how we can trust, again, the Bible. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus's body was laid. And they were also part of that burial process. They knew exactly which tomb it was. They participated in it, in the arrangement of the body and everything. The amazing thing about this whole story is nobody was expecting him to come back to life. Not even his followers. Not even his followers. Nobody was expecting him to come back to life. They all thought it was over. It's done. He was here and he died. And now he's in that tomb forever, just like everybody else. But Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming. It was just around the corner. Just around the corner. All his disciples would walk away feeling a little bit discouraged, a little bit sad. We don't know if any of them were hopeful at all. Because when the lady showed back at the tomb, not expecting it to be empty, they're thinking like, we should probably go and put some more, you know, herbs and spices and whatever floral things and all that. We're going to treat the body and all that. They weren't expecting him to, it to be open and empty. And they had to run out and they had to go get his guys. And his guys were like, what? Nobody was expecting it. You and I live on this side of the story of the cross and of the empty tomb. We know that that tomb is empty. It's empty to this day. He went to that cross for you and for me. He borrowed a tomb from, from Joseph for a few days because that's all he needed it for. He rose from the grave three days later. Right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, just like he said he was going to be. And we can trust his word. Part of that word is this. I'm coming back. I'll be back. And if all this stuff came true, which it did, if all this stuff can be believed by us, which we can, what are we doing with the other promise? That I'll be back. I'll be back. I love that he died on the cross for me. I love that he rose from the grave for me. My goodness, I mean, this is the best thing ever to happen for humanity. I'm excited that he's coming back. And we really believe he's coming back soon. And I'd hope you would catch that excitement. Seeing like, man, he went through all this for me. Yes, he went through all that for you. And part of the deal is the story's not over because he is coming back. It's the best part. Let's get excited for that. Let's, let's live with hope because we have hope and his name is Jesus. We have access to the Father. Anytime, we, anytime you want to go into the presence of the Lord, you have access to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't got to pray through any person or anything. You don't have to filter prayers through me, then me to send them to him. You know, that's unnecessary. You have access to him. All because of what happened on the cross. Man, the, the final nail was driven in the coffin, not for Jesus, but for death. 
when he rose from the grave. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love.